Hello and welcome to episode 6 of How to Heal. I am the Mormon Therapist and uh, 22 is off to a busy start for me. So this is the first episode of the year. My goal is about 16 episodes this year and I've already lined up about 8. So we will see how this goes. So today I am excited to learn more about one of several authors, including myself, that has recently published in the upcoming Women of Spirit Volume 2, Patricia Diario. Patricia is a spiritual mentor, sacred storyteller, and professional intuitive. She has more than 20 years experience in executive director of high-profile nonprofit organizations and more than two decades in private practice as a spiritual counselor in Santa Barbara. She was born, raised, and educated in Connecticut. In addition, seeing her private clients, she's also conducts circles for women and men who are committed to integrating spiritual principles substantiated by science into their daily lives. She is the creator, producer, and host of the Paradigm Shift TV show, which aired live in Santa Barbara for 11 years now. She's committed to being a catalyst for conscious media and has hosted more than 336 TV shows and 100 radio shows on science and spirituality. Her most recent show, Get Conscious Now, aired weekly on cable TV, SB until 2018. So all shows can be reviewed online at YouTube, Get Conscious Now. So welcome to the show, How to Heal, Patricia. Thank you so much, Mika. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is a pleasure. You're very welcome. How, how are things there in Santa Barbara? They're beautiful. They're about 73 degrees and just gorgeous. Beautiful. And I'm doing well. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I've just started doing podcasts, actually, uh, in an endeavor to move my work online. Um, I've done my work as a spiritual mentor and counselor here in Santa Barbara, as you mentioned, um, for, for over two decades, 26 years, actually. And, uh, and now I know that if I want to continue doing my work, especially with COVID, <laughs> that I've really got to move into the world of technology, which has not definitely been my strongest suit, let me tell you. I so, know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's, um, it's been a little struggle, but, but, but we can do it. And even just little starts at a time, you know, doing something, right? Yes. Well, I'm definitely going to do a podcast and I would be delighted to and have you come on and share your work as a healer. And uh, podcasts, actually, they kind of died out for a little while and now they are coming back with a vengeance. Oh, you said they died out for a little bit? Yeah, you know, the, the kind of the popularity of them, they, they were popular really for like about 10, 12 years ago. They got really popular. Then videos kind of trumped them for a while. And then now podcasts are starting to come back in because a lot of people like to listen instead of just like audiobooks. You know, they get to listen while they travel. They get to listen while they do other things. Great. Well, I'm going to do both video and audio. Yeah. Yeah, I like to do that. Yeah, I think both are good. Um, so you want to tell us a little bit, you said you started out in Santa Barbara about 20 years ago. Let's let's go back a little farther and find out, because I, I, I remember hearing that you're from East Coast, Connecticut, correct? Correct, yes. And now you're in Santa Barbara. And how long have you been in Santa Barbara? I've been in California since 81, since Santa Barbara, 91. I originally moved to a town called Ventura, about 30 minutes south of Santa Barbara. And Santa Barbara was always my favorite place to visit when I lived in Ventura. It has a high vibe here, a high spiritual vibe. You know, I, like Santa Barbara. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I've caught up with my soul in Santa Barbara. Nice. And, and uh, what made you transition from the East Coast? A man. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was born and raised in Connecticut, and I never, ever had thoughts of moving to the West Coast. I mean, it would never even occur to me. And I got married. I married an attorney, and um, we had a son. And the marriage didn't work out. We were living parallel lives, and it, we, neither of us were happy. So uh, that we, we parted ways amicably, 
And uh, during that period of time after that, I met a fellow from Los Angeles at a party in New York. And that was it. You know, I mean, he saw a girl next door from Connecticut. And I saw this <laughs> record producer from LA and I thought, well, this is different. Oh, wow. Anyway, so had a whirlwind, way to whirlwind there. And uh, I was ready to make a change in my life. Uh, I was director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Fairfield County, which I actually founded in 1976. But I was done. I, I was really ready to make a shift after my divorce. And California, he would just fly me out to California for the weekend. And I can remember it was November. November in Connecticut is cold and usually right. rain. Yeah. Uh, this was, um, we have Santa Ana's here where it's very, very warm and we have them in the middle of winter. And it was in the middle of a Santa Ana. And I remember getting off the plane and, you know, look, <laughs> the weather was just, I was, I said, this is November. What? Anyway, <laughs> I, I loved California. Love yeah. it. Sight, love it. First feel. So um, several years later, I moved out. The relationship didn't work out, but you know how that goes. Sometimes people are just catalysts for us. Yes. That's where we need to go. And I never would have thought of California. And I love California. I love the East Coast. I go back every year, Cape Cod with my family and uh, spend some time with them. But uh, I love California. California is my home. And um, so, that, and so tell me, I, and I'm sure it began um, in between that time as well. How did your healing journey begin? Or did you feel like you were always on a healing journey? My healing journey began with an event that occurred when I was six years old. I was, my family was a Polish and Italian and very Catholic. The one thing that they had in common was Catholicism. <laughs> And their love for each other. That's what I often say about my parents, because they were from two different worlds. The Italian world and the Polish world are like, you know, opposites in a lot of ways. But uh, Catholicism was huge in our home, and I was very much embedded in Catholicism and catechism and what the nuns told us and all of that. And uh, mortal sins, I can remember thinking about mortal sins and you die and burn forever. Well, what happened was at age six, in the public school that was right across the street from the Catholic church that I went to, I was molested by a school janitor there. And it was very traumatic. And I, it was at the time the nuns were talking about mortal sins around sexuality, interestingly enough. Yeah. And uh, I, it was a very devastating experience for me. I never told anyone and it was so powerful that I couldn't deal with it on a conscious level. So I buried it. I buried it deep in my subconscious, believing that, um, well, the nuns told us pretty much that when we committed a mortal sin for any reason, we burn in hell forever. But that uh, that's not the worst pain. The pain, the worst pain is that God will never love you again. Lost sight of God forever. That is what devastated me. And I think it put me on a journey, even in, even unconscious of what happened to me, it put me on a journey to find God. And the, the thing about my healing journey that was in a way, um, in a way, I was going to say the word insidious, maybe insidious isn't the right word, but made it very, very difficult was that I had no memory of it. And about within a few months after the event, I started this, uh, this form of self-mutilation that abused children express called, uh, well, now it's called hair pulling disorder, but at the time it was called trichotillomania. And it was, and I pulled out all of my eyelashes as Snika and all of my eyebrows as I got older. And I did it ritualistically, like brushing my teeth. You know, I would, yeah. I would take I took tweezers and I would get close up to the mirror so I could see carefully and pull the mirror close to me, the, the medicine cabinet. And then one at a time, I would pull them out. And as they grew in, I would pull them out. I wouldn't let them grow in at all. It was a neurotic behavior. And I thought I was really pretty messed up. I thought I was messed up kid. And I hid behind this mask of having it all together, being a straight A, straight a student, going to church all the time, practicing the piano. I was a 
good girl. But behind the good girl mask, of course, I felt like I was a bad girl and that I was unworthy and not good enough. I wonder how many listeners can relate to feeling not good enough or unworthy. Probably the majority of them, because I would say that this is endemic and epidemic in the human experience. That, exactly, uh, Patricia. And I also, and also too, um, did you feel like your parents, um, did they notice anything different about you? Did they notice? Um, of course, I was really very close to my mom. We were like, we, we were just very close. And my mother, I, I was six, six, and, you know, I six or seven, I'm trying to recall, I, I can't remember whether it was six or seven, but I was very, very young. And I couldn't never understand why my mother didn't miss me after school. And then I realized that my mother had gone back to work. And I was a latchkey kid. My brothers, my older brothers were out of, out of the house. So I would take the key and go in and usually pre start preparing dinner or something. I mean, she had me well-trained. I understand. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, my mother knew something happened to me. She knew it. Okay. And of course, pulling out all of my eyelashes, they, my family thought it was some form of alopecia that I had, but they didn't know that I would be in my bathroom plucking them out with tweezers. And I did it. Eventually, you know, I, I never did it when people were looking, but again, eventually it got to be such an ingrained reaction, especially when I was stressed, that I would do it in church. I would do it watching television. I would do it in the movies. I would, I would do it, you know, I mean, and even in my adult years, after I was well on my healing journey around it, I would find that when I, when I would get upset or stressed out, my hand would go up to my eyelids like, oh, you know, that's, I don't have that anymore. I think I've really healed that situation. Um, but it was 30 years, Mika before I discovered what happened to me. And may I tell that story? Cause it's- Sure, yeah. uh, I was director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Ventura County here in California. Mm -hmm. I had a small staff of about six caseworkers and I had recently hired a new caseworker uh, with a specialty in child molestation. And like Big Brothers, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Scouts, Girl Scouts, Girls and Boys Clubs, they're, they're targets for pedophiles pedophiles will seek them out especially big brothers with little brothers so we were very very much concerned about that and i developed a program with this particular caseworker her name was sandy to keep our kids safe so we had a program for our kids we had a program for the parents and we had a program for the big brothers and sisters which essentially said to them we will prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law you know if yeah. If you hurt any of our children in this way, you know, exactly. if you molest any of these children. So um, this particular caseworker was going to match a little sister, Janie. I call her Janie for the sake of conversation. And she was going to match her in June. And she said, you know, she's going to spend her summer with her dad. So why don't we wait until September to match her? Because then there won't be this big gap of time. I said, fine. So come September. Sandy is going to match Janie. We're sitting in a staff meeting. And she said, Patricia, I have to tell you, I think that Janie was molested by her father or somebody in her father's house over the summer. Well, I mean, I was stunned to hear that because we're mandated reporters, which means that even an allegation that's not proven has got to be reported to protective services. Right. So I was blown away by that. And I said, well, what do you base that on? And she said, well, when this little, when I met with her in June, she had the most beautiful, thick, long eyelashes you can ever imagine. And yesterday there wasn't one in her eyelid. Her eyelids were completely naked and bare. And that is a classic symptom of molestation, molested children. Well, I've been doing this for 30 years. So you can imagine how I felt. I sat back in my chair. I'm sure the color drained from my face. I stood up, excused myself, went into the bathroom. I held onto the sink. I looked into the mirror. And honestly, I didn't know whether I was going to throw up or pass out. I was just, it, 
did you it, still did you, this information came down like a ton of bricks yeah i was gonna say did it did it bring up like almost like you were living your own experience in your body and it, it reacted that way yeah my well my body reacted to what was the truth and i never knew why i did this now my eyelashes grew back over time as a young adult you know and i became very skillful with my makeup my parents were beauticians and cosmetologists so i you know i had that in my court so to speak um and but i I, all, I, you know, I stopped even judging myself for pulling up my eyelashes and eyebrows. I just accepted it and said, well, I'm just pretty messed up kid. I mean, this is not normal. I knew no one else that had done that and never thought of even researching something like that. Of course, molestation never occurred to me. And get this, at the time I was in therapy with a therapist who was a hypnotherapist, a psychotherapist, a bioenergetic therapist. She did everything. And I was in a group and the group was about um, sexual sexuality, healing our sexuality. And I knew that my sexuality was not right. I knew it. Um, I'm, going to sh I'm going to share this with you. And I don't know if your listeners will be a little bit freaked out by this, but it happened and it's true. Mm -hmm. The traumatic experience at six wasn't just being sexually molested. It was being sexually molested and experiencing an intense orgasm at six. All right. So what does a six-year-old do with that? Yeah. As exactly. it's completely embedded in shame. So shame, exquisite pleasure and unfathomable shame were collapsed in that moment in time. And I think that's why I buried it so deeply because I was sure that God would never love me again, you know, and that was what was devastating. I couldn't handle it. So I wish I could have told my mother because my mother would have been a wonderful ally for me. She was anyway, but I couldn't tell her. I couldn't tell her because I had no recollection of it. So when it all came crashing in at 37, <laughs> 30 years after the fact, I, I was just stunned. I called my therapist immediately and she said, I would never have taken you as a molest victim, ever. Yeah. Patricia, you said that it started um, you, you, like 30 years. So in between that, what do you think that triggered um, you going to, to did, you, did something triggered you going to therapy? And then that's when it came out? No, what, well, what happened was it came out in my staff meeting when I discovered that this little girl had been, her, she was, the caseworker felt that she was molested because she had no eyelashes in, and that's a classic symptom of molestation. And then I went, here, I had done this my whole life. Of course, that's what happened to me. So all of a sudden, I started thinking that I was molested. Got so it. I went to my therapist and she said, before you come in, I want you to think about all the men in your life or, you know, think about, and we're going to, we're going to dive deep. So I went to see her. We did a hypnotherapy session, uh, combination bioenergetics and hypnotherapy. And she hypnotized me. I was a meditator at the time. So I was, I went right down, right deep into meditation, into um, hypnosis. And she said, okay, now you're going to go down an elevator and you're going to get off at the floor of the age you think you were when it happened. So I'm in an elevator. I'm totally relaxed. I couldn't lift my little finger up. And she said, now... When the elevator doors open, I want you to just look at like you're watching a movie and you have a, each frame of the movie, there's something that you see. Prior to that, I was freaked out because I have two older brothers and a father that adored me and I couldn't imagine them ever doing anything like that, ever, you know? And I didn't remember any other man in my life. I mean, what I thought of a, of a janitor, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, the doors open and I saw myself as a little girl with long blonde pigtails and a little tam hat and knee socks and saddle shoes and a little camel hair coat and walking up toward the school. I saw everything I wore. I mean, it was just amazing. I remember those clothes too, it's interestingly enough. Yeah. So that's the first scene. The second scene, I'm in the, this is my kitty cat saying hello. I'm in the hallway by the principal's office and i'm talking to this big tall man dressed in gray big guy and he's leaning on a broom and he's talking very sweetly to me and i knew him and i liked him he was my friend well this man had 
taken the time to become my friend and he would bring me little toys and candy and stuff like that. And this particular day, he said, I have something very special for you downstairs in my office, which was the furnace room next to the, next to the um, gymnasium and the girls' bathroom. And the next scene, I was down there. And I won't go through the rest of the scenes, but I remembered everything that occurred. And I actually had an orgasm in the therapist's office at the end of it on the mat. She said to me, don't ever doubt that this happened to you. She said, now we're going to move about healing it. Because then I realized that what I believed about myself was not true, that it was a lie, you know, and that um, now I can make another choice. I can make a choice. Not that I made a choice to, to block it completely. Now I could make a choice to have it be brought to the fore. See my kitty here. To heal. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, so it's been a long haul, you know, I, I've been on my healing path for a very long time, my healing journey. And uh, I feel now that I have found God and I'm looking at her because <laughs> we're looking at each other here. Right. Looking at this little kitty. And a love bug over here. A little love bug over there. Her name is Joy Lovey, actually. Oh, perfect. And I realized that everything is divine. Everything is of God. There is nothing that's not. We're not in separation. Uh, I'm not. I'm not separate from spirit. No one is. We're one. You know, and it. It's been wonderful. And I would say that I moved to this place of knowing of my divinity, not just believing it or thinking about it and having an intellectual conversation about it, but knowing it. And people will say, "Well, how could you know that?" Well, seven years ago body of work came into my life based on a book called I Am the Word by Paul Selig, who is a conscious channel. And the authors are ascended masters, as in Jesus, Buddha, Mary, Kuan Yin, and that ilk. Okay, I don't know for sure, but they identify themselves as really high beings. Yes. And this is a book, uh, I'm going to show it to you here, even though our, our listeners don't hear, don't and, see. And the author is Paul Paul Selig, S-E-L-I-G. It's called I Am the Word. It's a channeled text, and it says a guide to the consciousness of man's self in a transitioning time. So what the book is about is helping us in our human experience to actually ascend, to ascend. So they are about helping us ascend, raise the vibrational frequency of our bodies so that we're vibrating at a higher frequency. And when we're vibrating at a higher frequency, our lens of perception changes, our landscape changes, and we start seeing the world and ourselves differently. Exactly. And your and, problems get solved easier that way. Oh, well. yeah. It's, it's above. Yeah. <laughs> what they're missing, I'll, I'll just sum it up in one statement, what they say. And they say, you cannot not be God. You cannot not be God. And they say the true atheism is denying your own God self, denying your own divinity. So um, seven years later and nine books later, I, um, I have habituate, habituated the work into my life. You know what I mean by that? I mean, it's like I wake up with it. I go to bed with it. I can't help but talking about it. My clients, my clients, if they don't want your life. Yeah. If they don't want to work with a channel text, then they're not going to work with me because right. I'm really, I'm really about that. After all these years of being a counselor um, and all the television shows that I did over the years, I, I want to cut right to the chase now. Maybe I have another 20 years left. I don't know. You know? Well, speak, speaking of that, we're going to talk about that. We're going to dive in deep to that part because your business name is Practical Spirituality. Right. And so, yeah, we're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come back and then you can lead in to all of that about your, your practice and, and go from there. Um, so we'll be right back with Patricia Fiorio. Feeling stuck and need some practical guidance to put to use right away? I have been helping friends, family, and clients with spiritual guidance for years, and now I am opening this option to others that follow and resonate with what I have to offer. You can send your question to transform at howtohealnetwork.com, and I will answer it without using your name so that maybe it can help someone else that wanted to ask but felt too shy to do so. Again, send your question 
with Mika, I have a question in the subject line to transform at howtoheal.com. We are all here to do something specific and unique to our original blueprint. Soul contracts can clear up questions you have about yourself and others while putting you on the right path that is uniquely yours. It speeds up the work of self-development exponentially and gives you practical tools for daily living. To learn about or experience a soul contract reading, go to www.mikaleone.com and get your free 15-minute consult to find out if a soul contract is right for you. Welcome back to How to Heal, and today our guest is Patricia Dario. So Patricia, um, you want to tell us a little more about your, your practical spirituality, your business in Santa Barbara, and yeah, whatever else, just lead in, go for it. Okay. Well, I was, when I got into spirituality, it was the new age. You're way too young to remember that, Mika. But, you know, the, I mean, the whole new age thing, the crystals and the, and the yippie, the yuppies and that whole genre. So I was a part of that. Um, but then as I matured spiritually, I, I discovered that science really has a lot to say about spirituality from the standpoint of Einstein's work and Max Planck, that everything is energy. Einstein, everything's energy. That's all there is to it. It could be no other way. This is not philosophy, this is physics. So I got an interest in that. And that's what, when I did, started my television show, that was my focus, science and spirituality. And also practical spirituality came about. The original name of my business was um, quantum counseling because I was very much into quantum physics. Not that I'm a scientist and I didn't know that much about quantum physics. Not that I do now. Patricia, let me guess that you were ahead of your time with that. So you changed it. Darling, I've been ahead of my time <laughs> my whole life. Yes, my son, my one son. Awesome. I'm a, I've been ahead of my time. I, I was born in 1945, which is right before the baby boomers came flying in. And I think I call myself uh, the drop that preceded the tidal wave of baby boomers. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, bringing spirituality down to earth into our daily lives. What does that mean? You know, it's one thing for us to have an affinity for crystals and to do our, our affirmations and all of that, but how do we practically bring spirituality into our everyday life? And it's not just the actions that we perform, it's the mindset that we allow ourselves to be in, that we make the choice to be in. Do we have a mindset that is worry, fear, concern, not good enough, not enough, a striving always outward? Um, yes. Or is the mindset, is your mindset knowing that the way out is in? If you really want to master the outer world, do you master the inner world by coming into alignment with your divinity, with your true self, with your higher self? You can call it any, anything you want. Over the years, I hesitate to use the word God because it's such a charged word. Um, but universe, source, force, the all that is. Whatever you know, you're connected to that's higher than yourself. That's and, right. And that's what I um, also mention in my practice as well, is a lot of focus on your internal world as much as you focus on the external. I would even say focus on your internal world first mm -hmm, right? because everything is going to happen in your outer world based on the beginning uh, the thought. Everything begins with a thought. And uh, what I understood as I got into the whole science and spirituality piece is that our thoughts are a vibration. They're energy vibrating at a frequency. We can't see it. Like we can see this table vibrating or we can see the table being in, materi in the material world. Our thoughts our thoughts um, are a vibration and the intention of what we're thinking, right? That thought is projected into the field, into the quantum field. And then when we have an emotion, like a, a happy emotion about a positive thought that expedites the thought, 
And then if you speak it to be so, you know, I'm now fully expressed in my soul's work, or I'm now healed, whole, and balanced in my physical, mental, and emotional bodies, whatever would happen to say, what we would happen to say, we're actually manifesting it. That is how we manifest, the components of manifestation. Dr. Joe Dispenza, are you familiar with him? Yes, I am. I had to read him for her. Yeah, One of my cool. favorites, and I had the honor of interviewing him many years ago when he was just a really young guy. Um, he says that it's the electricity of our thoughts combined with the magnetism of our emotions uh, are the tools of manifestation, all right? And of course, when we speak the word, we are the word, in the beginning was the word. The word is the expression of the thought and the feeling. So those are the components of how we manifest. Exactly. So when I realized that, um, I created a curriculum, if you will, about how we can practically bring spirituality into our lives so it serves us. You know, and beginning with meditation and journaling and intentions and all of that. And that those practices have been very refined in my own personal life, which is why in recent years I changed my title from spiritual counselor to spiritual mentor. Because what I do is I mentor people in the ways that have worked for me that I feel are universally good for everyone. However, you know, a lot of people don't, their path is different than what I might offer and they may go in a different direction. We're all headed in the same direction, which is really back to the heart of God, I feel. But what you're teaching people are not just general overall techniques and practices. It's things that you're actually physically using in your yeah. life and, and how you use them. And yeah, and yeah, okay, exactly. And your results. You um you want to give us one? You want to give us one for the for the audience that that uh you know something, they can take and and go with right now to start shifting. It's something that I'm doing. Yeah. In the okay, well um I'll give you my procedure in the morning. My ritual in the morning is I usually wake up about seven, and what I do then is I put on my AirPods and I listen to one of my books. So when I'm still in that twilight sleep, you know, and you're not quite awake, or your, right. or your subconscious is saying, yeah, feed me, feed me. You know, <laughs> in the theta state of consciousness, we're like little psychic sponges in theta. That's the most programmable state of consciousness. So I'm in that theta state, and I listen to a book, depending on my time and my first appointment in the morning, for about um, a half an hour, sometimes an hour, if I have the luxury of that. Right. And then I... Um, I'm a reader of the tarot. That's my professional intuitive aspect. And then what I do is I, I sit up in bed. Usually when I'm listening to the books, I'm lying down. But then I sit up in a meditation with my back straight against a pillow. And I turn within and I ask, what is my guidance for today? Who am I today? And what do I need to know? And then I work with the cards. And then I journal about it. And then I journal about the cards that I picked and how it relates to my life right now and how I can apply it. And then I leave the cards out so I can look at them during the day as I'm going by the room or whatever. So, uh, and then I go into a meditation for about a minimum of 30 minutes. So I'm in meditation for 30 minutes and I work with all of my intentions when I'm in meditation. I also work with a special breath that I do that helps to bring me to center. And then I meditate for a half an hour and then I'm up and down. That's interesting, Patricia. Um, I have a similar morning routine. It's off, I do the opposite. I do the meditation before the cards. And, and I was gonna say yours takes about what, maybe an hour total? Um, sometimes three, depending on my okay. time. You know, depends I mean, on the day. Yeah, it depends on the day, but usually seven to 10, is a sacrosanct time for me. And then on the weekends, if I want to, you know, do it until, yeah. until noon, yeah. you know, but I really, I really enjoy meditation very much. I find that it's, uh, when I was, when I was quite young getting into it, oh, I was one of those clock watchers, you know, is it, you know, is time up yet? Is time up yet? And I'd be in meditation. I'd be thinking of my to-do list of everything. That was a terrible <laughs> exactly. And that's why I asked you because a lot of people are going to be like, well, can I do it quicker? What can I do to get started, you know, faster or quicker? You know, so that's why I was asking you, you get um, a quick, maybe 
five minutes of gathering for the day, um, your intentions, um, five minutes of cards, five minutes. Uh, what would you say for a quick mini if someone says, I only have 15, 20 minutes in the morning and I've got to go? Well, they may not be working with cards or with any kind of an oracle, but we're, we're, our, own, we're our own oracle. Right, right. So I would say if you, if you only have like 15 minutes, I would spend most of that in meditation. Um, if you have cards or you'd like to work with an oracle, I suggest picking the card first because you're asking a question like what, what's appropriate for me today? And you get, let's say you get the balance card in the tarot balance oh, right. so yeah. then when you go into meditation mm -hmm. you can intend to be balanced during the day finding your balance and um i mentioned this book before the break i am the word uh what they what they what the guides talk about are decrees their decrees and the decrees begin with word i am word word i am word is a phrase in the word work that means I am God in action. Word, I am word. So word, I am word. What I say every day is this. Word, I am word through this new day and through my passionate, heartfelt intention to be aligned with my Christ itself, my true self, residing in the upper room. The upper room is a metaphor. I'll talk about that in a moment. Residing in the upper room, living a life of fulfillment, freedom, fearlessness, fun, joy, peace, and love in service to humanity. Mm, so if, I, you know, if I wake up and I don't have time, if I'm overslept or something and I don't have time, I never not say that. I always begin my day with that because it sets my mind on where do I want to be today? My intention is to be vibrating as the highest frequency that I can sustain in the body. So the upper room the upper room is referred to throughout all the nine books, and it is uh, a place, if you will, where there's no fear, where you are vibrating at the highest frequency that the body can hold without, without disappearing. Right. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, you cannot go higher than the upper Living room. Away. Yes. <laughs> you can't go higher than the upper room and still be in a body. So it's like well, you're vibrating at that high frequency. And, you know, over the years of doing this word work, which I feel is like the piece de resistance of my career and what I have to offer my students is um, that I have mentally, emotionally, and physically changed. You know, people that know me, have to have to know me very well and intimately to see the changes because they've been subtle, but I know myself pretty well and they have happened. The changes have happened. I have, I vibrate at a higher frequency and the other- They are subtle. They're usually subtle. Yes. They're subtle. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I've noticed about this work is that when a negative thought pops in and it happens to all of us, you know, the negative right. thing is all over the planet. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's- right. And a lot of times the negative thoughts are not even ours. They're just passing through us. But for the negative thoughts that are associated with patterns that are rattling around in our subconscious, keeping us trapped in these old patterns of behavior that don't serve us in bad relationships, financial struggle, ill health, uh, being in a nine to five job that we hate, making a lot of money, that's worse, golden handcuffs. you know. But being a nine to five job that pays barely higher than a minimum wage and wanting to do so many other things in life. Yeah, you know, and people get stuck in that and think they don't have a choice. We have a choice. And when I find myself getting triggered by the fear around anything in my life, you know, I stop and I observe it. And I go, I'm not going down that rabbit hole anymore. I'm not going down that rabbit hole this time. I'm going to choose another thought. And the other thought is usually the opposite of what it is. If I'm worried about finances, the other thought is I'm financially free and abundant. What am I talking? What am I thinking about? And you're pointing out the thought, just the stopping and the thinking, just not just reacting from that, that reactive mode. Just that stopping alone is a re like a reset. Stopping alone is a reset. And, you know, there are times sometimes that I've stopped and... I went down the rabbit hole anyway. <laughs> you know, I was so used to going down that rabbit hole and then I would get into the worry and the fear. But now 
I've reached a place in my own process, which is why I want to call myself a mentor, where I can be present enough to catch myself right at the brink of that rabbit hole and go, no, I am not going there. No, I choose this thought. And that immediately shifts me. Plus the fact that this work has given me, gives us the most amazing tools. For example, there are particular phrases that are repeated in, in threes and you'll find threes, you know, throughout, gosh, um, any kind of um, spiritual, uh, what's word I'm looking for? The threes have shown up, you know, the Trinity, everything is Trinity. Mm-hmm. We say something three times and the, and the guides do it a lot in this book. And what they they have three phrases that I've memorized, they're not hard to memorize, um, that I use as my fail-safe system. They are, I am here, I am here, I am here. As soon as you say, I am here, I am here, I am here, what it does is it raises your vibrational frequency to the true self, to the Christ Mm -hmm. self. So you're already there. Right. The second one is, um, I am, I am free. I am free. I am free. Meaning that I'm free from my past history definition. I'm free from collective agreement. I'm free to be this divine being having a human experience as Patricia, but I know that. Yeah. I'm aware of that. Okay. Uh, more people should be aware of that at this, this moment in time, especially in the last couple of years. No, <laughs> that's why I'm, I'm so excited about my work now. So I am here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And the third phrase is this. I have come, I have come, I have my come, I've come. Meaning, you know, I'm here to do my work now. I've come here to do my work. And yeah, you're fully present in your body, aligned, ready to go. <laughs> right. So when I find myself getting triggered, especially if it's something like if, if my cats, my, one of my cats doesn't come in, or if my cat is ill, um, it takes me down right away because I'm so, then I start worrying about vet bills and I start worrying about this, that, and the other thing about my cats. And then I become, you know, um, overprotective mother, mother. (laughs) So I have to be present. And you know what? I want to bring this full circle back to what I didn't share before when I was talking about as, as a little girl that I was in a chronic state of depression and I was never really happy, even though I had parents that loved me, a family that loved me. I had everything that a little girl could ever want. And and still, I wasn't happy. But you know what? You know what made me happy? My cats. Cats. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get home from school (laughs) when I was a little girl and hug my cats. And I can remember, they were so happy to see me. I felt like I was unconditionally loved by my cats. (laughs) They were so happy. They were, yeah. And I would put my ear against their belly. And you know, I call it Kitty Prozac. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I, put I know the feeling. And they would purr, and I could feel my all the tension in my body just melt away. Wow. And I wrote a speech called Kitty Prozac. Speaking you know, of writing and, and books, let's, let's talk real quick about your, your um, submission to the Women of Spirit Volume 2, which is being released March 1st. Yes. Uh, I was very excited and honored when Twinkle Marie Manning, the publisher and an old friend of mine, uh, used to actually direct my TV show for me here in Santa Barbara, doing stuff in Santa Barbara. And uh, she called me out of the blue and uh, she sent me an email and I was so thrilled. And she asked me to submit something to the second anthology of the Women of Spirit. So I wrote something called the paradigm shift, it's happening now. Yes. And I, more. That, yes. <laughs> now I started the television show, The Paradigm Shift in 1996. Okay, 1996. Ahead of your time. And, and people, you know, I knew I was in trouble when one of my crew came over and said, what's a paradigm? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, oh my That's God. a lot of work to do here. <laughs> I kept the name of the show and my my practice at the time was called quantum counseling, but people didn't know what quantum was. So I changed that to practical spirituality. Anyway, um, I, at that time, 
was the underlying premise of my life was something I heard from Deepak Chopra in the 80s at a ballroom in Boston. I went to hear him and he said something that just resonated right to, right to the quick of my body, mind and soul. And he said, in fact, we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. I went, Whew. I mean, I could, it was like everything, my whole body went, yes, my whole body lit up. And that became my, um, my, my uh, premise for the show it was called uh, The Paradigm Shift, where spiritual beings having a human experience. Deepak Chopra did not coin that phrase. The phrase was actually a quote coming from a Catholic priest, uh, Pierre Thierry de Chardin from France. Mm -hmm. And he was subsequently defrocked by the Catholic Church and all his books were banned because he had the audacity to suggest that we were actually divine beings and that God was not outside of us sitting on a throne with a big long beard calling the shots, you know? So um, anyway, I knew that people were waking up to this conversation of being divine beings. I knew it, I knew it. So that was the whole premise of the show. And I had the good fortune in early 2000 to interview Bruce Lipton who wrote The Biology of Belief, and Greg Braden, who wrote a ton of books, you know, The God Code, and uh, gosh, I can't even remember the names, all of them. And you said um, those interviews can be found on your YouTube, is that correct? You know what, the, the shows from the 90s mm -hmm. are sitting in my garage in boxes because they're all eight tracks. Oh, wow, they need to be changed. <laughs> they so need to be I'm really audio. Yes. I could, yeah, I'd have to digitize them. Yeah, I suppose I could use the audio, right? It could use the audio. So anyway, I have 58 shows that I'm working on now that are on my YouTube channel, and they go back to 2014. That's when I interviewed Deepak Chopra in 2012, actually. I began my second series. I did the paradigm shift for 11 years, and I took a break. And I thought I was going to be discovered by Oprah, who moved to Santa Barbara. Oh, boy, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Talk about delusions of grandeur. Anyway, I did my best. That didn't happen. Uh, but I think it will happen before I drop the body, I have to tell you. I just I have think to. so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Anyway, um, so I took a break for a few years, and I started getting into my practice more, more deeply. And I started doing circles. And uh, I did these circles, especially around the word book called Quantum. I call them... Um, word circles actually where I would take people through a chapter a week of the book and we would really get into it you know and right. people have an opportunity to really see how it related to their lives and anyway um so uh I felt the paradigm was we were in the process of the paradigm shift and then when COVID hit and the world was turned upside down and politically here in this country was an abomination happening. I'm sorry, I'm really revealing my politics, but I'm not ashamed to reveal my politics, mm -hmm. uh, what occurred in those two years. And uh, I thought, oh my God, this is bringing humanity right to its knees. You know, the, COVID, the, the epidemic is a, it's a level playing field. I don't care how much money you have or how right. powerful you are, you know, <laughs> this is a level playing field. That and then the politics in this country, headed up by a pretty much, I would consider him a mentally unstable, insane leader, without mentioning his name, had an impact on the rest of the world politi politically, especially dictators, you know, mm -hmm. who were feeling their oats after he came into power. Yes. And uh, I could see that we were really headed, you know, for a, a big crash and a shift, a big shift. Mm -hmm. So Bruce Lipton, I'll explain it by a story around Bruce Lipton, right after COVID was really there and we were wearing masks and um, not going out and all of that, he said, he said in this uh, piece on the COVID, he said, you know, I want to celebrate this. I want to celebrate what's going on. This is the paradigm shift that we've been waiting for. And I couldn't believe him when he said but that. Really? He, the first one from his, <laughs> he was on my show in 2003 or 2005. And um, he said, I liken it to caterpillars who have a caterpillar who have eaten all the milkweed pod leaves gluttonously. 
and now it's retreated into the chrysalis where it is now going into breakdown, is breaking down into this mushy elixir that over time would result in butterfly. So that's what we're in, and we're Mika, we're in the midst of it right now. It's happening now. We're in the midst of it now. The breakdown is now, which is why you see so much suffering on the planet, which is why you see um, everything, all of our systems turned upside down. We're not going back to normal. There's no, no, yeah. no normal. And, and we're with the normal to, that great to begin with. Yeah, we're, go, we're going to create a new normal, a new normal that represents humanity at a higher level of consciousness, which is why your work and my work and the work of other the women in this anthology are so important and millions of other healers and teachers and, and spiritually inclined people that are really about vibrating themselves at a high enough frequency to influence their families and the people around them. Because when we do this and we move from focusing on ourselves vibrating at a high frequency and really realize that we need to really build the resonant field mm -hmm. of yeah. a high vibrational frequency that will lift humanity up. Exactly. And you've heard of the hundredth monkey concept or the number of critical mass. Well, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, before he passed, many years ago now, I think maybe 15 years ago, he said that it would take one-tenth of one percent Yes. The population of the world to shift the vibration. for that critical mass number to hit where everybody boom, wakes up in the twinkling of an eye. Re Book of Revelations would say twinkling of an eye. Course in Miracles would say in a holy instant. You know, and people wake up and all of a sudden we have a humanity that's awake. Mm. We have an awakened humanity. We have choices that move us in the direction of peace and love and brotherhood. We're in the golden age of Aquarius, my Aquarian sister. Exactly, right? We're in the yep. golden age of Aquarius. That's it. Yep. So I'm very passionate about helping people wake up to this. And, and I've gotten some feedback from coaches that, well, you can't, you can't be so sure. You can't be so certain. You can't say you know that you're God. I said, well, it's the whole purpose of these nine volumes of, of work that I'm doing. That's the purpose of the guys want us to move to this place of an intellectual conversation about it to a feeling in the body, like you know your name, like you know your, your sex, like you know what you know what you know. And that's what the guys call the knowing. Mm. They call the knowing. I am in my knowing, they say. I am in my knowing. Mm. When I say I am in my knowing, I'm immediately lifted up because I know who I am. You see, if we can truly know that we're divine and know that before our humanity, if we could know that, it trumps, trumps knowing that we're human. If we can know we're divine and accept our humanity and our yeah. physicality and everything, then we can heal ourselves. We can help heal the world. We can make choices that are positive and move us forward. So it's the awareness of our divinity, I feel, that is missing overall in humanity, generally speaking, in the, in the of humanity. You know, there are those that are the capstone of the consciousness on the planet. You know, we're part of that capstone. Like there's the 1% with all the money. Well, there's the 1% of us that have that level of spiritual awakening where we know we're divine. Right. And we need to really spread it out now and let people know that this is who we all are. No one is higher or lower than anyone else. There's no one special. We're all divine beings having a human experience. And if we could remember that. And work from that place. Make from that place, mm -hmm. then we're home free. Exactly. The road, yeah, the road just gets easier, clearer. All those questions start dissolving itself. All those uh, blockages and emotional stuff starts to dissolve itself. Yes, I agree. I agree very much. And this is part of what you um, put inside of your women's, um, the Women of Spirit, Volume 2. Yes, Volume 2 is about the paradigm shift. I talk about Bruce and, uh, and looking at right now. And um, I talk about the word work. So I talk about the paradigm shift 
and what the paradigm shift is like. We're in the middle of paradigm. I just had something funny. My son, who is now 52, your age, uh, no, you're 51, going to be 50? Yeah, oh, I'll be 51 next week. Yeah. Oh, you're not embarrassed to say your age. <laughs> no, no, I don't I'm not care. embarrassed to say my age. <laughs> 77 on Valentine's. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm just starting in a way. <laughs> yeah, right? Many lives, uh, right? You feel like I've lived many lifetimes with two, I'm sure. One. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, what I talk about in the anthology is the paradigm shift that's happening now and where I have gone in my own spiritual growth around it. And then I talk about this amazing occurrence on my 70th birthday when this book came to me, I Am the Word by Paul Selleck. And it has been utterly life-changing. And I moved again, I'll tell you, I moved from believing that we're God and divine to knowing it. And it's not an arrogant kind of I'm God. It's a, a knowing, like a feeling in my solar plexus, a feeling in my body, like I just know it. I want to help people go there. So I have, um, I launched a program called Align with the Divine. And it's a one-on-one program where I work one-on-one with clients weekly for three months. And, uh, And I'm also starting a group as well of people that would like to have the, you know, the, um, what is it called? The, um, there's a term for when people come together, the mind bank or um, where everyone comes together in a group and it's like, I forgot the term. Okay, yeah. It's, it's like um, when you have a wealthy person and you get them together with a lot of other wealthy people. Not like a mastermind. It's, it's a mastermind, but there's a term that I'm just, that's escaping me anyway. So I all, I'm also doing groups for people that would want to work in a group. I keep them very small and intimate because I like people to have plenty of time to share uh, what inspired them about the book and how they could apply it in their lives. You know, we all have our intentions and our goals and our dreams and our visions, right? And I think we have, absolutely, we have the ability to manifest them. We do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thoughts, feelings, and words. And uh, working with I Am The Word has been profound for me in shifting this whole idea of affirmations and goals and visions and dreams to very deliberate intentions, intentions, you know, and intentions that are, that are substantiated in I am the word. I, I am the word. I know that I am the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God. He was with God. That's St. John the Apostle. I'm not a biblical scholar. I was raised Catholic and I had a very strong affinity to Jesus and I still do. Mm-hmm. That didn't leave me when I left the Catholic church. Um, but not, but um, hmm, I thought I lost my train of thought, darling. What was I saying? Oh, about the divinity and um, being in with, uh, hold on for now, let me pause this. What the word work has done for me, Mika, is it has helped me to take my visions, my dreams, my aspirations, and my goals and bring them to this place of, Patricia, you really can manifest these. It's not out of your reach, girl. You know, you don't have to repeat it 80 times. You don't have to write it 50 times. All you have to do is own your power to be the word, have the thought, align it with a positive feeling and project it into the field in the words. Word I am word through being fully self-expressed in my soul's work. Word I am word for being the highest expression of consciousness that I can be in a body. Word I am word through radiant health and ageless beauty. Whatever it is. And I have You're my- loving it. You're and loving I, it. And yeah. do these mantras every day. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it too is that- um, if you have someone in your life that's suffering, that's ill, or that's suffering with, with a grieving process of some sort, or some type of crisis, you can take that person and word them. Word I am word through my niece, Cheryl. Word I am word through my mother. Word I am word through um, my boss. And when we say word I am word through anything, whatever is on the other, other, other 
other side of that word through, we are lifting it up into the upper room where the guides tell us it is made new. Like Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. Where they say it is re-articulated. It is changed in such a way that it's made new. And you know Transformed, what? Transformed, yes. And you, know, and you know what? You don't even have to know what the new looks like because who cares if it's new and you've lifted it up. It's got to be better than anything that you knew. Exactly. Or even think, think that you could possibly have too. So it's better just to have it open so you can see what comes through. True. Exactly. And another piece of work that I just, another piece that I love about the word work, and I'm talking about the word work because my paradigm shift happening now piece in the anthology, half of it is about what I'm talking about now, because I think it's, you know, it's that important. The other thing that the guides uh, tell us is that we've got to let go. We've got to be willing to experience our reality outside of history, definition, how we've defined ourselves and how we've let other define us. Outside of our history, the fact that I was molested and blah, 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 and everyone has their stuff, right? We've got to move out of our history, our definition, how we've defined ourselves as who we think we are, and collective agreement, which is the most insidious of all, because you have a collective agreement of humanity leaving mm -hmm. in um, that when you start aging, all of these things are going to happen to your body. And all you have to do is turn on the television and listen to the commercials to hear about all the drugs that you need to be on. Yes. Have this condition and that condition and tell your doctor because this is going to help you with this. And if you have an erection that lasts more than four hours, go to the hospital. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, really? <laughs> so the programming that is continuing to happen in our culture is insidious. It's insidious. Oh, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're talking about that. Um, it's not talked about enough. Yes, it's so, so important. So the other piece of this work that totally lights me up is letting go of history, definition, and collective agreement. And what I'd like to do is, how much time do we have left, darling? Because I have a little story I want to tell we you. We have a few more minutes. Yes. Okay. So every year as a spiritual counselor coach, I would have my own life vision statement. All my clients had to do their life vision statement and they take every aspect of their life and they talk about how they want it to be in the most fabulous way they can ever even imagine. And, uh, and then use it, you know, as affirmations and all. Well, one, two years ago, I went to retrieve mine to see what I had accomplished and what I needed to shift and everything. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it on my computer and I couldn't even find it in hard copy. So I thought, well, that is really weird when I thought well, I could always get one from one of my clients because I always use my statement as a template for them, you know, okay, to, yeah. but I said, oh, there's something going on here. There's something. So I went in and I asked the guides and I work with the cards and I work with the cards and the cards are a reflection of what um, I know inside me. And also when I ask the guides a question and I pick a card, I think they're answering me through that card. This is how I work. Exactly. Yes. Anyway, uh, pretty much the guides told me that I wasn't to do that anymore. No more life vision statements. Mm -mm. And it was like, what, you know, what am I going to do? Well, they didn't have an answer for me. But that day I was riding around the car and I heard something that made my, pulled my car over, stopped to listen. I was listening to one of the books. And uh, this is what I heard. And I'm going to recite it because that, this, what I'm going to recite took the place of my life vision statement that I was doing for years and years and years and years. Okay, so here it is. I am now willing to experience my reality outside of history, definition, and collective agreement. I'm willing to know the realities that coexist on this plane in higher octaves may be understood or experienced for my benefit. I'm willing to know beyond the known. I'm willing to speak beyond language. I'm willing to claim beyond intent. I'm willing to see beyond perception. And in this claim, I know the truth of vibration beyond any comprehension I may have had thus far. And in this claim, I'm awakened to the totality of the true self that is known to me as the divine what I am. Wow. That has become my daily vision statement, which is not about the past, and it's about totally the unknown, which I'm very excited about. 
And that is a beautiful place to end um, for the audience. That's amazing. That is beautiful. No wonder you're all lit up. <laughs> you glow. Everyone else can't see you, but you're glowing. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, that light is shining for sure. Patricia, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Um, the best way to get a hold of me, I think, would be by email, Patricia at patriciadiorio.com. Patricia. Call your last name just in case. Yes, it's Diorio, spelled like the designer and pronounced like the cookie. It's a D-I-O-R-I-O, -I -O, Diorio. It means of gold in Italian. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, it was so nice having you here today. And we thank you so much. And we're looking forward to, um, again, Woman of Spirit, Homology comes out, volume two, March 1st. On March um, 1st. And yeah. I also want to let people know that I'm launching my new group that will be working with the word books. And if any of the people are interested, please let me know that. I'll be starting it in early March. So I'm in the process of gathering my, my students now. And I keep the group small and intimate. So it could be as little as four, but no more than six. So I, I welcome you to, to I'll be doing a, a free evening introductory evening on what I'm offering and that's coming up too. So if anyone's interested in coming to a free introductory evening about this without making any commitment, I invite you to check, to give me a shout out through email. So email, email you and then say in the subject line. Um, uh, saw you on Mika Leon's show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the, and then she'll give you some more information about the introduction workshop. Oh, this yeah, is you, awesome. can just, you can just put introductory workshop or your name or some Perfect. Way. I will know. Yeah. Perfect. And thank you so much, Patricia. You know what? I would love to have you come back later and talk some more about other aspects of your life because there is so much to uncover. We have to kind of stay focused today, but you have an amazing background and we haven't even gotten into the, all the shows you did, um, your, your channel. Um, and I know you're going to update some more of the stuff on your YouTube as well. And you said your site's in the middle of a, of an upgrade, right? I'm what? doing a website facelift. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, I have a demo reel my, in my demo reel. Uh, I'll send you the demo reel, Mika. You would probably enjoy seeing it. I have clips from my Greg Braden and Bruce Lipton show from the, I would love to see it. I'm like a little, I look like a little girl in there. <laughs> oh, I would love to see it. Yes, yes. We definitely have you back on and we can streamline more of what we didn't get to talk about today. Right, great. And happy, happy birthday, darling, on Wednesday. And to you as well. Yours is before mine. <laughs> She's the 14th of days before, and the 16th. <laughs> and uh, how many years? 32 years ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. 26. Well, 26 years. Yes, yes. Yeah, 26 yes. years. And, and uh, so thank you very much, guys, for listening today and reach out and, and get a hold of Patricia and find out what she's up to. And thank you so much for being here on How to Heal. Oh, and Mika, thank you, thank you, thank you for your wonderful interview skills. And I totally enjoyed being on your podcast. You are very welcome. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you all. We'll see you later on How to Heal. Good.